thank you for listening to another Hastings NAS podcast. We are so pleased that you have shown interest in listening to this podcast, and we pray that it is edifying and beneficial for you. You can watch us live every Sunday morning on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hastings NAS. And if you are so inclined, you can support the ministries of the church by going to HastingsNAS.org slash give. Hope you enjoy this sermon. Grace and peace. Good to be together this morning. Have you ever attended a gender reveal party? It's kind of a recent tradition in, in American culture, right? I don't think my parents had a big gender reveal party for us when I was a kid. Uh, I don't think my parents knew the gender of us when I was born. Um, I think that maybe one of my brothers and myself were pretty shy camera shy at the time and so they just didn't know Um, and there was a time when you just didn't know but now not only can you get a picture of your kid you can get a 3d sculpture made of your fetus if you want i don't know you get it 3d printed maybe that'd be kind of cool i'm going to start that We'll, we'll start a business 3d printing of your of your unborn baby that's a good idea uh but we do gender reveal parties sometimes it's a huge production right Sometimes it's a more private affair. We didn't have huge gender reveals for our girls, um, but we did. We did get to participate in the gender reveal for Rob and Amber Simon's daughter, Reese, which was how many years ago now? She's four. That was four, like four and a half years ago, something like that. Wow. Spoiler alert, it was a girl. Um <laughs> But it was a really creative and fun event. It was perfectly appropriate for the Simons. They had a balloon filled with confetti. It was pink. Um, and everyone took turns trying to shoot the balloon with a bow and arrow. They set the balloon way off on the edge of the property, and we were trying to shoot that balloon with a bow and arrow. And it took quite a while for someone to hit it. To be honest, it took longer, I think, than people expected, and you'd think that a family of hunters would have hit the target a bit sooner, but we don't need to talk about that. It was a creative and fun way to announce to the world and to themselves that they were going to have a girl. Gender reveals are a thing now. Have you ever seen them where they go wrong? These viral videos where gender reveals go wrong. There's one where the person is holding the balloon with the confetti inside and they accidentally let go of the balloon, which is filled with helium, and it flies off into the ether, and somebody in Canada (laughs) finds out that somebody in L.A. is going to have a girl. There was another one recorded by someone's ring doorbell. Uh, The doorbell in front of their house that has the camera on it. The mother-to-be was walking to the car, holding the balloon with her two young boys following behind her. The older boy goes out first, and the younger boy walks out second, carrying a sword, as young boys are wont to do. And just instinctively, without even thinking, he's walking behind a balloon and he just (laughs) pops it. Pink confetti scatters across the yard and the mother's shoulders just 
sink with dejection and she looks at her youngest son. What's she going to do? The mother, uh, the mother's revealing was both premature and not as she had expected. And all the wrong people were there. That's that. I mean, it was supposed to be this incredible reveal with all her extended family, all her friends. Instead, it was just her and her two little boys who found out that she was going to have a girl. Epiphany is a season of revealing. The season after, epif- after the epiphany of Jesus Christ is a season where we read about who this Jesus guy is. It's a season of revelation. Who is Jesus? So during this time, we keep reading about this holy revealing. That's what epiphany is. After all, did you catch what our text said? I did not know him, but I came baptizing water for this reason, that he might be revealed. We're talking about the revealing of Jesus Christ, only I'm thinking that the revealing of Jesus Christ was maybe a bit more like the mother whose balloon was popped at the wrong place in the wrong time in front of the wrong people than it was the perfectly planned and perfectly executed, glorious revealing of your child's gender to the people you intended think about it. How is the Son of God revealed to the world? By whom is the Lamb of God who takes takes away the sin of the world revealed? By whom? In the Gospel of John. Who says it first? By Herod, right? King of the Jews. That was his title. Herod was the king of the Jews. Herod, the one who sits upon the throne, he's the one who says, hey, here's the guy, right? Herod was real excited about Jesus. No, it wasn't Herod. It, oh, it was by the high priest. It wasn't the throne. It was the religious leadership, right? They were the ones who proclaimed that this Messiah had come. He was, he was revealed on a throne, right? He was revealed at the altar, right? In front of a crowd. How was the Son of God revealed to humanity? The Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ. The very Son of God is revealed to the world by a wild man who lived on the outskirts of society. Jesus is not revealed in the city square. Jesus is revealed in the wild places. Jesus is revealed on the margins. That's a whole message right there, church. I think Jesus is still revealed on the margins. If we're not looking to the margins, we might not be seeing Jesus. We might be seeing the other guy named King of the Jews, Herod. We might be seeing the other guy who sits in his lofty, lofty religious palace, the high priest. And by whom is he revealed? By John the Baptist. Or, maybe more appropriately, from the Gospel of John... He is John the witness. Nowhere in the Gospel of John is John the Baptist called the Baptist. He says, no, I was sent to reveal. I was sent to bear witness. I was sent to testify. The great question is, what is John revealing? Or rather, who is John bearing witness to. To whom does John bear witness? Well, it's, 
It's simple. It's easy. He says it plainly, right? Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he calls Jesus the Lamb of God twice. John says he exclaimed it. He was emphatic. He was excited. I don't know about you, but that may have been a perfectly normal description for first century Jews who lived on the outskirts of society. But for us 21st century folks who do not, what do we do with this description? Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Makes perfect sense. Here's the message. Let's go home. Now, I think, I, think, I think we maybe need to pull this apart a little bit. So let me ask you, let me ask you, let me preface this a little bit, this question. This is a trap. If I were to put like a meme here, it would be the Star Wars. It's a trap! GIF right now, so just know that this is a little bit of a trap. I'm warning you, but I want to ask you, to what is John referring when he cryptically calls Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? What is that Lamb of God? And why is it so compelling? What about saying, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world would make two of his own disciples leave John and follow Jesus? Did you catch that? These dudes have been following John for who knows how long, and John goes, hey, that's him. They're like, deuces, I'm going to that guy. What would be so compelling about him saying, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All right, we're going to a new church. To what is John referring? It's a trap, I know, I'm warning you, which maybe means you don't want to respond, but... What is he referring to? What lamb is this? And why is it so compelling? You're very silent this morning, church. Chances are we think that this is a reference to the Paschal lamb, to the Passover lamb. I think that's where probably most of our imagination goes. The lamb that was slaughtered so that the Israelites... Firstborn children would be spared through that final Egyptian plague. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that when we think of a lamb, that's maybe what we think about. The Passover lamb. Um, we think of that when we, I mean, around Christmas, Jewish folks celebrate Hanukkah, and they, they often will participate in a Seder meal. And maybe some of us have part, have either witnessed or experienced a Seder meal. And so we think of Passover. There's just one problem with thinking of that this lamb is the Passover lamb. And, and the issue is theological. The Passover lamb was not a lamb sacrificed in order to take away sin. That lamb was a sacrifice offered to bring liberation, not to forgive sins, not to bring atonement as forgiveness of sins. The Passover lamb was freedom from bondage, and that's good and beautiful, and that's perfectly appropriate. It could be that that's what John was referring to when he called Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but there is another Old Testament reference that might be more directly appropriate for when we think about the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
And this lamb of God does not get as much attention as the Passover lamb kind of in our context, but it was equally, if not more, important for Jewish folks. Going back to our, uh, going back to when we were young Jewish children learning the traditions of faith, right? Um, What's the holiest day in the Jewish calendar? Do we know this? Yom Kippur. Good job. Yom Kippur is the holiest day in the Jewish calendar. In Hebrew, this this word means day of atonement. Yom is the word for day. Kippur is the word for atonement. Yom Kippur was a celebration of when Moses received that second set of commandments. Because you know what happened to the first? Moses got kind of angry and broke them. And God said, okay, let's try this again. He heard the commandments 2.0. Yom Kippur was the one day a year that the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies. That was the only day that the high priest could enter that Holy of Holies. And Yom Kippur was the day in which all of the sin of the Jews would be forgiven. All of the sins of Israel would be forgiven. It's kind of a big day. You can still witness celebrations of Yom Kippur today. Yom Kippur was a day of sacrifice. This is what Numbers chapter 29 says says verses 7 through 11 reads on the 10th day of the seventh month you shall have a holy convocation and deny yourselves you shall do no work you shall offer a burnt offering to the lord a pleasing odor one young bull one ram seven male lambs a year old they shall be without blemish their grain offering shall be of choice flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths for the one ram, one-tenth for each of the seven lambs, with one male goat for a sin offering, in addition to the sin offering of atonement, and the regular burnt offerings and its grain offering and their drink offerings. The offerings and the sacrifices of Yom Kippur were for one particular purpose, the cleansing of the people through the forgiveness of sins. The sacrifice of Yom Kippur, it sanitized the Holy of Holies, that place where God was going to dwell in order that God's presence could enter into it because God's presence could not enter a place that was defiled or corrupt. Yom Kippur was a celebration that God had entered into the midst of God's people. Does that sound familiar? Does that description resonate? Maybe that doesn't sound like a day. Maybe that sounds like a person. A celebration that God is in the midst of God's people. Emmanuel. A recognition that sin is forgiven. You bet. You see, Jesus, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world might be a an incarnation of Yom Kippur could be the embodiment of the day of atonement rather instead of having a day of atonement you have a person who brings atonement Jesus is Yom Kippur Jesus is the incarnate Yom Kippur Jesus is the eternal Yom Kippur Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world Except, did you catch something? There's a distinction to be made here. And maybe this is why it was so compelling to those first listeners. 
there's a distinction to be made. Yom Kippur was a celebration that God had forgiven the sin of Israel. God had forgiven the sin of the people. It was an atonement for the people of God. What does John the witness say? Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of some. Here is the Lamb of God who takes takes away the sin of those people. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's where you say amen, church. Are we awake? Come on. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, not merely the sin of Israel. Not just the sin of the covenant folk. Not the sin of, of, of one nation. Not the sin of one people. Not the sin of those who have said all the right things. Okay? Not the sin of those who can recite the the creeds and who can answer all the questions in the catechisms. Not, Not the sin of those who behave the right way. Not the sin of those who belong to the right church. Not the not even the sin of those who believe the right things. Church, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not just my sin, as good and as true as that is. And church, I'm telling you, not just your sin, as good and as true as that is. But can we take a moment and just... Have we done that to Jesus? Have we done this with the Lamb of God? And by, what I mean is, have, have we reduced his atoning work to the forgiving of individual persons' sin? Individual persons' sins? Don't get me wrong. This is not a rejection of the individual forgiveness offered to persons through Jesus Christ, but that's beautiful, and that's true, and that's good, but is it complete? Is that, is that all of it? I, could, I can't help but think of the song that was so powerful when I was a teen. Michael W. Smith, I don't want to knock the song, but maybe you remember it. Crucified, laid behind the stone. Help me out, help me out. He lived to die, rejected and alone, like a rose scattered on the ground. He took the fall and thought of me above all really that's a bold claim have we reduced the atoning work of christ to what he does for me here's the lamb of god who takes away the sin of mercy here you're sitting on the front row that's what you get that's what you get Jesus wasn't incarnate, crucified, resurrected, and ascended to only forgive my sins, as good and as true as that is. Jesus wasn't incarnate, crucified, resurrected, and ascended to to forgive 
one person's sins, Jesus was incarnate, he was, he was crucified, he was resurrected, and he was ascended to create a whole new existence, church. Jesus didn't go through the incarnate life. The Christ event was not so that my sins can be forgiven and then I can continue as I was. Oh, my sins are forgiven. I'm good to go. Nothing's going to change about my life. No, the Christ event brought about a whole new way of being. It's called the new creation. Jesus established a new way of existing. Yes, my sins are forgiven, but that's because Christ has taken away all sin. Your sins are forgiven because guess what? Christ has taken away all the sin of the world. It's important that we not reduce the work of Christ to the mere forgiveness of individual persons' sins. Incorporate it, yeah. But church, I'm telling you, that is not the entirety of the gospel. We come from a tradition. Do you know what, our, do you know what the tradition that we're a part of is called, broadly speaking, in the West and across, across the globe? It's a big picture, big tent. We are actually a, officially a part of a cohort. The Church of the Nazarene is a part of the evangelical movement. Do you know what evangelical means in Greek? It's euangelion. Euangelion is, it means good news. It means gospel. We have, we have associated ourselves with a people who proclaim that our identity is the good news. And church, we read the good news this morning. But what if we evangelicals have reduced the good news from the Lamb of God taking away the sin of the world to me and Jesus? It's important that we not reduce the work of Christ to, to only individual personal forgiveness. And if, if I'm honest, that individualized emphasis that pervades American Christianity, I don't think that's all that compelling, actually. You see, what if what is compelling about this story that we read today is not that I can have my sins forgiven if I do the right things, but maybe what it, what's compelling is that all sin... All sin. My personal sin. Your personal sin. All systemic sin. The sin of racism and sexism and bigotry. All global sin. The sin of war. The sin of genocide. That all sin has already been taken away. What if what is compelling about this story is that because the anointed one has come, all things are being made new. What if, what if what is compelling about this is that the anointed one who takes away the sin of the world says to people, even to you and even to me, says, hey, come and see. Bear witness to this thing that I'm doing. What if what is compelling about the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is that that Lamb of God has invited you to be a part of his redemptive work? I don't know about you, but that's good news. 
And John helps us see what participation in that, in that looks like. And let me tell you, it is so beautiful in its simplicity. John, the witness, shows us how we are to share in the redemptive work of Christ. And it's by being a witness. Is John an apologist? By that I mean, does John practice apologetics? You know what apologetics is? Feeling this need to prove God's existence through some rational endeavor, to, to prove God's existence, to prove Jesus' lordship. There may be a time and a place for that, but for John, it's not through apologetics. How does John show us that we are to share in the redemptive work of Christ? When he sees Christ, he doesn't say, well, you're all going to hell unless you follow him. Not through shaming people for their sin. John offered a baptism of repentance as a way to say, sin no more. Not as a way to say, look how terrible you are. We bear witness to the, to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, not by having the best worship music in town. I'm sorry. Not by having the best production, the best sound quality, the best lighting. I hope not because we forgot to turn our stage lights on today. Not through having the most magnificent and beautiful building. Not through having the most exciting and entertaining children's programs. Not through having the best and most exhilarating youth group ministry. Church, worship is not a strategy by which we reach new people. Oh, you got to come to my church. We got the best music. You got to come to my church because, man, the kids are downstairs the whole service. No, maybe we share in the redemptive work of Christ by simply looking at where Christ is at work in the world and by pointing it out. There it is. That's Jesus right there. You know, that's why we worship, church. The goal of our worship is not to try to put on a production so that you can be entertained for an hour, so much so that you're going to want to come back next week. Worship is not a strategy. Worship is bearing witness. Worship is gazing upon the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There he is. Here is the one we've been waiting for. Hopefully we have eyes to see it. Will we bear witness to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Not argue our way to it. Not have a Facebook fight about it. But point him out whenever we encounter him. What if that is what it means to be a witness? Not to feel the need to compel or convince, but to simply state, here's the Lamb of God. Can you see him? So I'm going to end this morning a little bit differently, and I know we are running short on time, but maybe there are a few folks who want to answer. This is an open question, and I hope that someone responds. Where are you seeing the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? 
Do you see the Lamb of God taking away the sin of the world today? Where are we seeing the anointed one in our world, in our cities, in our towns, in our villages, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our church? Hopefully we see the Lamb of God in our church. Where are you seeing the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Caring for the homeless. Amen. In our schools. Yeah. In our grocery stores. Hmm. Everywhere. Where can I flee from your presence? I go up on top of the mountain and you are there. I make my bed in the pit and you are there. If we have eyes to see it, where is Christ's redemptive at work in your world? That's the message.